All right, welcome to the free stretch here on JoeBucksFan.com. I am Bobby Fenton, and it is the Super Bowl edition of the show as we have come to the final football game that counts, and it's the one that counts the most, Chiefs, 49ers, Las Vegas, Sunday evening, Super Bowl 58. And I'm excited, as always. I mean, I always get a little bittersweet around this time of year because it's the Super Bowl. It's the whole reason we get all into these 272 regular season NFL games, and then we get 13 more in the playoffs, this being the 13th one. And the Super Bowl is only the final destination. Of course, it's a journey, and I love every second of the NFL that I can get, and college football too. But, you know, you do want the denouement, right? And you always want it to be your team. But even when it's not, the Super Bowl is one of those rare sporting events. There's a few where I wake up on the day, and this has nothing to do with my team being in it. How many sporting events are there for you? You wake up the morning of the event, and you actually feel excited that it's that day because of that event. Like, even though I watch the World Series, and I watch the Stanley Cup Finals, and I watch, you know, other sports, unless it's my team playing it, I don't actually feel that different on the morning of, like, Game 6 of the World Series if it's not the Rays than I would. It's still just another weekday. But there's, for me, Super Bowl Sunday. Derby day for me is always like that. I always wake up and I'm like, it's Derby day. Like I'm excited about the Derby that day. Uh, Masters final round on Sunday is like that too, I would say. There aren't very many, at least for me. And then the college football national championship, of course. And you might even argue this is how great football is. Even even some random regular season. We have pretty much every random regular season weekend, college and pro, I wake up that way, unlike any other sport. But the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. And we got a good one here. I mean, I, I'll go through all my thoughts on it later in the show. I do not have a strong lean either way. Not that my predictions would matter even if I did. But it, it really is a good matchup. You always like to see, and, you know, anytime the point spreads less than a field goal, not that it even matters that much because a stat I was reading earlier, underdogs, and the Chiefs are a two-point underdog, underdogs are 7-4 and four straight up. Now, not just the point spread, straight up in the game, they're 7-4 and four since 2011. And so, of course, when it's less than a field goal, it's pretty much a coin flip anyway. We'll talk about that on the show today. Of course, we got some news with the Buccaneers as they have a new offensive coordinator and some things like that. And we'll go over a few other things. Email me if you want to. The email address is the same as always, bobbygameday at yahoo.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-G-A-M-E-D-A-Y, bobbygameday at yahoo.com. On Twitter, give me a follow if you're interested. It's same thing, at bobbygameday. You can comment, you know, any discussion, whatever you want to have. Tweet at me, anything. It's all there. And so as we get ready to go into this final game of the year, and with it, the offseason, which I guess for us as Bucks fans is more important because that's what concerns our team. Like I just said, the Bucks have themselves a new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who most recently was the offensive coordinator for Kentucky in the SEC, was with the Rams the year before that and had been at Kentucky before that, then went to the Rams. He was calling plays at Kentucky, did not call plays with the Rams, but the hire, as we know it, and there are a lot of things to recommend this guy. I'm not going to pretend that I have extensive knowledge of his X's and O's. My knowledge of his X's and O's comes pretty much from watching Ray Davis of Kentucky absolutely trample the Gators in their game this past season. 
Although against the Gator defense, I'm not sure how much credit you can give any offensive coordinator. But my point is, here's the thing with Liam Cohen that I do know, okay? And not that they hired him specifically and only because of Baker Mayfield, but the Bucs want to keep Baker Mayfield. They want to make it as enticing as possible for Baker Mayfield to stay here. And the system Liam Cohen is going to run, you know, it may not be identical in terms of terminology, but it's essentially the same system as last year. There'll be consistency there. Guys aren't going to have to learn a whole new thing. Mayfield even said this. He was on the Rich Eisen show out at the Super Bowl. And uh, he talked a little bit about this and said he really likes the hire. And, of course, he does. That's one of the reasons the Bucks made the hire. And so, you know, I, I have no doubt, and we'll get into Baker's contract thing in a minute, but, yeah, I have no doubt that that's certainly a big reason why Liam Cohen was hired. But he does, first of all, he, he didn't call plays for the Rams, but he does have play-calling experience, unlike Canales before the season. And, and, you know, Canales now the head coach of the Panthers, which I still think, and I love, you know, good for Canales. Seems like a really good guy. I wish him well. You know, that, that seemed like a reach to me. And the way that, you know, the Bucks' offense looked throughout the season wasn't exactly gangbusters, except for a short period toward the end of the year. And that's to be, I mean, like we said, he had never called plays before. So you get, good, you know, at least get a feel for that with experience. So even if it's your first season after doing it for five games, six games, seven, eight games, now all of a sudden it's a less daunting thing. So I think it is a good sign for Canales that the Bucks' offense improved as the year went on, which I would have expected for someone who had never done that before. But it's still, the meteoric rise is something else. Here, Cohen is a guy who's been doing this a long time at various levels. He is, uh, you know, savant-like, apparently, in the way he's been drawn up plays since he was four years old. They were saying his dad was a football coach before him, and, you know, he's been at this quite a while. But he does have some play-calling experience. And like I said, Pretty similar to what the Bucks have already been doing. Doesn't mean identical, but it should mean that it translates with a, a more seamless transition from last year to this year. We'll see if that is enough. And a guy, have you read all the stuff written on Joe Bucks fan about him? Who seems like he is an open-minded guy, not a complete... He's a young guy. A lot of times the younger guys are the numbers guys. He's a young guy and he is open-minded, but not all in on the analytics. I know some people... First of all, that doesn't bother me at all if he is all in on the analytics. But, you know, he's a guy who will consider them but without being completely married to them. Although I think the whole discussion with analytics has been completely rendered meaningless. And even the word analytics has been completely rendered meaningless. And a big example of that was last week in the whole discussion after the NFC Championship game with Dan Campbell and what the Lions did on some of the fourth downs and blah, blah, blah. It just got to be ridiculous. But we're not talking about that today. The point is... He did say in his opening press conference, and, you know, guys say whatever. I don't care what somebody says in their press conference. I care what they actually do. He did say running the ball is going to be priority number one. Now, again, not necessarily going to hold him to that. I hope it's not priority number one. Throwing the ball should be priority number one. Throwing the ball well. And scoring – here's the thing. Scoring touchdowns should be priority number one. The goal of any offensive coordinator – and I'm not saying it's not for Cohen – but it's, it's not an easy thing to do necessarily, but it's certainly a very simple goal. We want to score as many touchdowns as possible. Not control the ball, not establish our whatever, just score as many touchdowns. We want to score touchdowns upon touchdowns upon touchdowns. That is really, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do. And whatever the best way is that there is to do it, so be it. 
But we want to pile touchdowns on top of more touchdowns on top of still more touchdowns. And so with the Bucks' offense being literally the worst the past two seasons in yards per carry, number 32 in the league, both in 2022 and 2023, you know, I, I know he's going to get asked about that in his press conference. Improving the run, you want to say improving the run game is a priority, of course. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad to run. When I hand the ball to a guy, I'd rather get six yards than three yards, of course. I mean, yeah. but yeah, I mean, this needs to be, and any offense needs to be, centered around aggressively and efficiently pursuing yards and points as much and as quickly as possible, period. Another impressive stat, in case you're wondering about why I say these things all the time, this is just playoffs only, but since 2017 in the playoffs, the team with the higher EPA per passing play in that game, not, not going into the game, but in that game, won 87% of those games. So the team with the better, basically, passing game in any given game won almost 90% of the time. The team with the higher EPA per rushing play in a same game wins about 58% of the time in the playoffs. And that's just playoffs, but those numbers are pretty close to what it is in the regular season as well. You know the old golf saying, you drive for show and you putt for dough? Well, in the NFL, you pass for show and you also pass for dough because you pass. That's, that's how you win, so it's both. And running the ball isn't a bad thing, but it should never be like your main focus. And even their big playmaker, Rashad White, at running back, it makes as many plays or more catching the ball and running it outside the tackles as he does running up the guts. So I hope, you know, and, and Cohen's going to say what he knows his new bosses probably want to hear. Uh, I hope the Bucks kind of pick up where they left off this past season in the evolution of their offense because the offense at the beginning of the year for the Bucks this past year wasn't great, and it also felt like it was one of those, you know, we're going to beat our heads against the wall just to say we did it. And they finally started to open things up a little more as the year went on, and instead of going back to square one and going through that whole process again, which we know how it ends, you know, let's just kind of pick up where they left off, and, and hopefully Liam Cohen does that. But, uh, it, you know, I like the hire. Again, I'm not going to pretend. Everybody says they love or don't love a hire. You don't know. I mean, nobody knows. But it seems like a positive. And as far as Baker Mayfield goes, he definitely considers it a positive. The Bucks also hired a new special teams coach after Keith Armstrong's retirement. That is Thomas McGahee, which is, that is, this is a good one. I mean, nobody, unless you're really in the weeds, you know, like geeking out on NFL news all year round, knows or cares about the special teams coach for your favorite team, let alone even all the other teams. But Thomas McGahee has 20-plus years of special teams coaching experience at the pro and college level. The last six of those were with the Giants. And he's a guy that has been repeatedly sought after by multiple teams. Anytime he's on a staff and the coach gets fired, he always gets tons of interest, I was reading. And a lot of times he ends up staying anyway because the new staff, who doesn't have a tie to him, still wants to retain him. So that's a good hire. That one's one you objectively look at. And again, I don't know Thomas McGahee from Adam as far as you know, following his career, but you look at what other people think of him around the league, respected people, that seems like a good hire. So, McGahee, the new special teams coach, Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, Baker Mayfield now is the next order of business. And Baker Mayfield, coming off of two awards now, he wins the comeback player of the year in the NFL, which I was surprised. Not that he didn't deserve it, but, you know, they had DeMar Hamlin, Flacco, you know, all these guys, but Mayfield did. I mean, he really bounced back from what looked like it was going to become a journeyman career where he was just kind of hoping to hang on in anybody's roster that he could. 
Instead, he reestablishes himself as a franchise quarterback, and the team he did that for, the Bucks, wants to keep him, and I think will keep him. Uh, he also won the Pro Bowl MVP. I was at the Pro Bowl this past weekend with my son and all of his Little League buddies and their dads, and we had a good time. You know, in person, I'm not going to lie, it dragged a little. I mean, it's flag football. It's fun to see the guys up close, and they did the tug of war, and they did all kinds of stuff, but it's, you know, it's not a real football game. I'm old school, and I, you know, I grew up, I remember watching Pro Bowls on TV, and they had the, the awful-looking uniforms, but everybody always wore their helmet, and they played real football, and you know, maybe you threw a bet down or two on it just to have fun. And yeah, I know it wasn't exactly smash-mouth, hard-nosed stuff, but it was still football, and flag football isn't football. It was fun. Like I said, it was okay. I could have, it could have lasted. I know they tried to make it three hours with all this stuff. They could have just made it last two hours, and it would have been fine. But anyway, it was cool to see Tristan Wirfs and Baker Mayfield. Mayfield does lead the NFC. And, you know, He played the whole pretty much whole fourth quarter and the whole second half of the third quarter, and the NFC hangs on and gets the win. He gets Pro Bowl MVP, which doesn't mean anything, but I'm sure his agent will you know, try to use it as a little bit more leverage in contract negotiations. So remember what I said. Uh, was it last show or maybe the show before? And I, I, I tweeted this on my Twitter account at Bobby Game Day because there was an original tweet from a, a couple of weeks ago. There were initial rumblings around the league. Baker Mayfield, you know, somewhere in the two years, $20 million, you know, two years, $40 million total. So $20 million a year, uh, something like that. And I was like, hey. One million percent, like I would take that offer and run. Like right now, I would just smash the button. Yes, let's do that. So when you hear a proposal, and not even an actual proposal, but in this case, when you hear a hypothetical proposal, and before you're even finished reading the whole sentence, you're like, yes, what does that usually mean? That usually means that's not really the proposal, right? If it's that easy, oh, hell yes, I would do that, that probably means Baker Mayfield should seek more, right? Because if you would do that so easily, you'll probably flex a little more. So $20 is not going to be the number. And, you know, I think we all know that. Obviously, the market for him with other teams will depend on a lot of it, although he has said, and I, I love him for this and give him credit for it, he has said, yeah, no, I want to be in Tampa. I like when guys are clear and don't try to be coy. And I don't think he's giving up any leverage or bargaining position by saying this because he, even though he wants to do it, he can still very easily go somewhere else. But he said, yeah, I want to be in Tampa. I want to stay there. I want to have Mike Evans. You know, you got, like he said, I like Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, on and on. He wants this. That doesn't mean I expect him to give some sort of ridiculous hometown discount. But yeah, maybe, you know, there's a little flexibility there. And a lot of this comes down to, you know, how contracts are structured. You can't obsess over simply the two numbers of term and total, you know, there's incentives, there's front loading, there's all the stuff they do. So and it's not our money. The only reason we care about this is why? Because of the salary cap, because it does have an effect on the rest of the team. If this was, you know, baseball, like I don't have, whatever, the owners can decide how much they want to pay them. I don't care. Get them all. You know, it's not my money. But in this case, even though it's not my money, it still affects the rest of the team, how much they're able to get away with paying him or not paying him and to be able to have him. But like I said before, I mean, you've got some guys in the NFL up in that, you know, 40 million plus range. Those are elite guys. But then you've got a couple other guys also in that range who are not, most notably like Daniel Jones, for instance, for the Giants is a $40 million guy. Um, there's a few as Deshaun Watson, who can be elite, but at this point in his career has to kind of reprove all those things. And obviously there's all the off-field stuff. 
you know, Mayfield's not quite on that level. Uh, Derek Carr, he's in the high 30s. I think Mayfield's better than Carr. I'd rather have Mayfield than Carr. So Mayfield's going to point to that. Mayfield's agent is going to point to that and say, well, you know, hey, if Derek Carr's getting this, that, or the other, then, you know, we should probably get this, that, and the other, plus some other few other things. And that's what his agent's job is. Now, the Bucks can come back and say, well, you know, that may be true, but we're not here to simply match the offers of other teams who failed in signing their quarterbacks to contracts just because they made bad deals doesn't mean we're obligated to make a bad deal. And like I said, on the other hand, what does it really come down to? It really comes down to what he can get from somebody else. So it's not even necessarily comparing to other quarterbacks. Those comps are always used in negotiations. But, you know, who else out there? Like the Vikings, for example. I'm not saying they're going to get him, but they might be moving on from Cousins. If they offer him $35 million, well, now we got to offer him $35 million, right? And I'm sure if we can match somebody else, he'll take us over them. But we have to at least be right there or get pretty close. You know, like you can't just be like, okay, well, they're offering you 35. We'll do 27 and a half. But hey, it's Tampa Bay. You love it here. I ain't going to cut it. You know, even the, I, I believe him when he says he loves it here. So whatever the number ends up being, you know, I think the Bucks will do it. But you have to draw a line somewhere. And if this gets out of control, then you have to be ready to walk away. The only way to win in the negotiation is not just to say you'll walk away. It's to really, really mean it and be able to say, no, I, I really will walk away. You know, the Bucs don't draft in the top 15 like it looked like they might before. They're drafting at 26th or whatever it is. And, hey, I mean, there's people saying, like, Bo Nix, Penix, these guys are day two guys now. You know, the, the, this is a quarterback-rich draft, and if you are ever going to go after a quarterback, you can get one that probably would have been top 20 in other years, maybe at 26 or maybe even in the second round. I don't know. But I'm sure the Bucks' first choice, like Mayfield's first choice, would be to just keep him. And maybe you can still draft a quarterback you know, on top of that. I mean, I think you should draft quarterbacks way more often than NFL teams do because you now we know. I mean, we've seen top guys end up being that guy. You know, we've seen guys that were, like, not – the top ones in their class, but still like first round pick, like like Mahomes, you know, or Josh Allen, guys that were a little further down there, but still middle of the first round or early middle first round. And we've seen the last pick in the entire draft, Mr. Irrelevant, who's going to start the Super Bowl for the 49ers on Sunday, not just some joke, you know, freak thing where somebody got hurt, but he's led the team to this point all season long. So you have a chance to score with a quarterback anywhere and it's why I would almost always look to draft them if I could. I mean, you just need to find one, and the more you draft, and you can't neglect the other needs of your team. But, I mean, it's the premier position, and every team in the league wants to have that guy, and only about seven of them maybe do. So even if you sign Bake, you know, take – I said last year, I said, you know, Kalijah Kansi ended up being really good and is really good, and that's a, a valuable pick, and the Bucks need all the help they can get up front. They still need more, but he's really good. But I would say take Levis. Why not – hey, take him. What, what happens if he ends up being like the next Mahomes? You don't know. I mean, like, take him. And he looks pretty good for Tennessee, not the next Mahomes or anything like that. But my point is – my point is it's always about quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. They're very hard to find. We've got one in Mayfield who isn't top shelf elite. That's the other thing. He's not, I mean, he's good, but he's not like that good, in my opinion. And I love him. This is not, I mean, I love him. But he's in that, you know, 9 to 14. If you were ranking 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, he's in that 9, 10, 11, that 9 to 14-ish range. He's better than average, not quite all the way elite. And so, you know, 
obviously negotiations are negotiations. His side's going to try to get as much as they can, as they should. And the Bucks are going to try to get him without committing as little as they can. And they should, too. I'm sure they'll come to something. Early, low 30s. Can we do low, 30, low 30s right now? And we'll make this happen. And I think that's where it ends up. No more than that. If you get up past 35, you're getting too high. I mean, even low 30 seems a little high. But any good negotiation, both sides are supposed to feel like, ah, I could have done a little better. So that's why I'm willing to move a little bit, uh, you know, low 30s. But then from there, and you, but here's the other thing you have to think about. Like when you look at Baker Mayfield right now, do you think he's going to get better? Like did he peak out in 2023? Or even certain parts of what, like if you got the Baker Mayfield from the second half of 2023, okay, and you told me that was peak Baker Mayfield, like he will never get any better than that, I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with that. That's good enough for him to be your quarterback right now as you work to try to get that. I, I don't know. But you also get have regression. And this new offensive coordinator will have a lot to do with that, and he's got some familiarity with Mayfield because they were together you know, with the Rams. Um, or, or before that, I mean. But, you know, that's you can't just assume what we saw with Mayfield at his very best this season, which wasn't consistently the whole season, and just extrapolate those few games and say, okay, that's who we're getting, because you're going to get the mixed bag. And even overall, the whole story, he is above average. But, you know, there could be he could stay the same. He could get better. He could regress. You know, those are all things that could happen. That have to be considered. Email me if you want to. BobbyGameDay at Yahoo.com is the email address. B-O-B-B-Y-G-A-M-E-D-A-Y. BobbyGameDay at Yahoo.com on Twitter. You can get me at BobbyGameDay. Uh, oh, wanted to say something about Ryan Jensen, who announced his retirement officially. Of course, he had not played this year. You know, and you go back to the past two years with Ryan Jensen, the 2022 season with the Bucks, where he was injured early in the year in training camp. At that point, you know, and at this point, we were coming off of a heartbreaking divisional round loss. Still felt like we were one of the top dogs, though. Felt like, hey, Brady, you know, he retired and came back for one more year. This is it. Let's make one more run at this. That Bucks team wasn't good enough to do that, as we found out later. But at the time of that injury in training camp, it felt that way. And it felt like a really big blow because, oh, man, like this is. And so what did Jensen do? Could have just had surgery and said, okay, I'm out for the year. But he just wanted to scratch and claw any way he could, even if it was just for the playoffs. And he was taking, like, umbilical cords after they were cut. You know, the, the – um, oh, my God, the terms of – stem cell, that's what – he was taking stem cells. I mean, they were trying everything in the book, injecting into his knee, trying to do it holistically, trying to come up with some new age stuff, just so he could just be there with Brady one more time. And he did it. He came back for that wild card playoff game against the Cowboys – which nobody remembers, and it was a crappy game, and it was a season that ended with a whimper for a team that probably wasn't good enough to go any further than that anyway. But Jensen did it. Like, that's what he did. And if he had just had the surgery, he would have missed all of that season and probably been okay to come back for this season. Instead, he never really did get right. And then as they entered this season, and everybody was kind of assuming, okay, Jensen's back. And it was, wait a minute, he, you know, camp's starting. I don't see him out there. He still wasn't out there. And it was starting to be like, this seems like, what's going on? Like, he should be out there by now. And then, you know, word came down, yeah, no, he's actually not going to play this year either. And he's probably done. And that's what happened. But I want to give a big, hearty, free-stretch salute. 
to Ryan Jensen because, you know, when you look back into the years passed by, like we look back at the 2002 Buccaneers and all the individual players, we look back fondly on that team. And we'll do the same with the 2020 Bucks as more years go by and that Super Bowl team. But this franchise, yeah, he was the perfect center for when we brought in Brady. Like he was the perfect center. And that nastiness he brought, that edge he brought, we needed something like that. And that Super Bowl team – and there, there's many, many guys, obviously Tom Brady, but many, many other guys even besides him that made it go. But he was really, really important to that team and to the 2021 team, which didn't quite get as far. But he was like a heart and soul of not only of that offensive line, but of that offense and even of that locker room. And as a Bucks fan, I'll always have really fond memories of the way he played. And I'll always be grateful we had a guy like that. I'm not sure, even if you have all the other things they had, I'm not sure they win the Super Bowl without a guy like him right in the middle starting off every play. So he's off into the sunset now. He's fine, but he's not going to play anymore. And I wanted to salute Ryan Jensen here on the free stretch today as he announced his retirement last week from the NFL. And speaking of free stretch salutes, another one I wanted to mention here, and this is a sadder one, but Martin Fennelly, passed away last week. A lot of you probably know who he was, but for those of you that don't, he was a longtime columnist for the Tampa Tribune, as well as the St. Petersburg Times. He was one of those guys that started out pretty young. I mean, I'm 43, and I remember reading Martin Fennelly back like in the 90s when I was a kid growing up. And then as the years went by, Eventually, when I got into media and started doing sports talk radio and this and all those things, I started to be credentialed, and I'd be in the same press boxes, and Martin Fennelly would be there. And I, he was not a guy I knew personally, but I wanted to bring up his passing on the show today because he was one of the guys when I was a kid that I look back on very fondly. And when I look at what made me want to get into doing like sports talk radio, for example, and he wasn't a radio guy, but... Just all those years growing up reading his columns, and not just him. I mean, it, w one thing that his death made me think about is the, and we still have it. I mean, this, I get the Tampa Bay Times delivered to my door. They only do it two days a week now, Sunday and Wednesday. They do a paper every day, but they only deliver a physical copy twice a week. And I have people that come into my house sometimes, and they see the newspaper sitting on the counter, and they say, what the hell is this? You get the newspaper? Like, I didn't know they still had it. I'm like, yeah, they get the, I still get the newspaper, dude. You know, and, and <laughs> I mean, every day after school, I remember it's distinctly, I would get either to my house or oftentimes to Nanda's house, my grandmother, and she'd make me some food and I'd sit on the counter and I'd spread the only two. I only read two sections back then. Now that I'm an adult and a little more well-rounded, I read some of the news too. <laughs> but when I was a kid, two sections, the sports page, and the comics, always read those. Loved Calvin and Hobbes growing up in the far side. But anyway, the point is, I would read guys like Tom McEwen, who's like the dean of all Tampa Bay sports columnists, Hubert Mizell. There's so many going by. In fact, when we were talking about Martin Fennelly, me and my friends the other day, we started reeling them off. But yeah, Tom McEwen, Hubert Mizell, Martin Fennelly, of course. John Romano now, who I also do not know personally, so I'm not just saying this because he's my friend. I don't know him. Uh, John Romano's fantastic for the Tampa Bay Times now. Uh, Mick Hubert, David Whitley, Joe Henderson. I know I'm forgetting a few, but there were so many over the years, on and on and on, um, that they were always on that left side of the sports page. There was always a column. It could be on any variety of things. Martin Fennelly wrote about a ton of different things. And 
that's what I grew up on. I mean, that's something that I really wish my kids specifically, my, I have two kids, but my son specifically, and all kids of this generation growing up today, I wish they had that they don't have because, like, I didn't have my mom breathing down my neck saying, you've got to read. I just read, and I read Sports Illustrated, which is another thing that just went by the wayside. You know, newspapers have been doing that a lot. Now Sports Illustrated, even though it hadn't been itself in years officially, you know, they let everybody go a couple of weeks ago. I grew up reading Sports Illustrateds. I grew up reading the sports page. I got a ton of my reading done that way without even having to be asked. And I wasn't one of those kids who would have read something I wasn't interested in without being told, like a lot of kids. But if you give a kid something interesting, and that's the beauty of reading, reading doesn't have to be done any specific way or with any specific material. You just need to read words on a printed page. So for me, it was guys like Martin Fennelly. And like I said, I didn't know him personally, but he had a special place for me, as do all those names I just mentioned and more that I probably uh, forgot over the years. And I was really sad to see that he passed away. I'd seen him not that long ago. I can't remember the last time, but it was in a press box somewhere. I think it was at a Rays game a while back. And uh, really sad to hear that. Thoughts and, uh, of course, condolences go out to his family. And it's, it's a loss. And, and it, it's, it just reminded me of, of a bygone era. Although, again, I still cling to it. The newspaper is still very good, by the way. There's plenty of stuff in there. And by the way, people that say, oh, hey, you're a, which I'm not a boomer. My parents' generation is a boomer, not me. But, oh, you know what, man? You're hanging on to the past. Who gets the paper anymore? It's not how people get their news. Most of the people that say that, by the way, don't consume news, period. They just act like the newspaper is old school, and they don't do that anymore, and they do it some other way. But in reality, they just don't do it at all. So I'm on, as you know, I talk about it all the time. I'm on Twitter on here. And I read things, there's all kinds of ways that I use that are the modern types of ways. But there's nothing like having a paper and sitting on the counter, and whether it's a plate of food or a bowl of cereal or something, and just reading it while you're eating. I've always loved doing that. I was doing that when I was like nine years old. And I still do it today. And those guys, like Martin Fennelly and others, are the ones that kind of planted that seed in my brain when I was a kid. And I always loved, I mean, I love sports, you know, from day one. And that was the way I fed it. And so, you know, if you look at, I actually saved a few old papers for different things, like, you know, like over the years, sporting events, Bucks, Super Bowls, or other things I have saved. The old sports page was, the paper, first of all, was wider. Like, it's like two, three inches wider back then. And it was thick and chock full. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff, everything. And I understand that it can't be like that anymore, but I am glad. This is one of the reasons... I subscribe to the Times not just because I want to get the paper, but really just because I want to support local journalism, and I don't want the Times to go under completely like so many other newspapers have, because even if you don't read the newspaper, and a lot of you may not, if there is no local newspaper, you suffer. We all suffer. It is not to the benefit of any metro area or anything to not have a paper, and that doesn't just go for sports. That's fewer reporters down at the local courthouse, even when we had two papers, the, the Tampa Tribune and the Tampa Bay Times, or St. Pete Times at the time, you know, that's two reporters now down at the local courthouse reporting on local stuff, and they all know the other one's there, and they're competing a little bit, now there was only one, you know, and, and that's fewer reporters in the locker rooms at your favorite sporting events, that's fewer photographers taking pictures of all the things you care about, and like I said, you didn't have to get the paper delivered to your house to benefit from that, because the fewer of that there is, the fewer lights that are shined on the things that we as the general public 
want to and deserve to know about. And so there's a lot of people, a, a certain section of society, higher society or, or, or business or you know politics or whoever, that, that probably like it that way because it's less light shined on them. But that isn't a good thing. And like I've said, it, you don't have to have read it for it not to be a good thing. It's not a good thing either way. And so I, I didn't want to, you know, I want to focus on Martin Fennelly. I didn't want to go on a, a greater diatribe about newspapers, but guys like him are what gave kids like me the interest and, and brought it to life. And like I said, those, all those guys were titans to me. Like I used to love, hey, remember Hey Tom with Tom McEwen, the, you know, the Sunday morning after a big college football game or the Monday morning after a Bucks game. And he'd describe like the entire breakfast. It was called the morning after. And he described like this beautiful breakfast, first of all, and then he'd go into the column. It was, it was virtuoso stuff. The press box at um, Emily Arena, or the Ice Palace, as I still call it, is still named the Tommy Q and Press Box, in addition to Rick Peckham now. The broadcast booths are what's named after Rick Peckham. But he was a titan, and, he, and like I said, he and Hubert Mizell, those were the big guys, like the, the, the forefathers, and then all the others that came after him, or after them. And I, I hope they're, I hope, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, there's still columnists and there's still a newspaper, the Tampa Bay Times, whatever it might be, whatever iteration of it it might be. And plus, articles are, look, if you have kids, like, for example, my son, he's supposed to read every day. And it's, you know, it can be a pain in the ass to get a 12-year-old to read when they don't want to read. And I know they read at school and stuff like that. You don't have to get a thick chapter book and have them read 20 pages. I just give my kid the sports page and I'll say, hey, Read these two articles. Hey, tell me about Nikita Kucherov at the All-Star Game. What happened there? And I'll have him read it. You know, that only takes them five, ten minutes. It's not long. And so it doesn't overwhelm them. Because I mean, I was a kid with ADHD. If you gave me a book, like if you gave me a book when I was 12 years old, and I was a very good reader, but if you gave me a book, I'd get like five minutes into it. I'd be like, this is boring. Put it down. But if you gave me a column, you know, or a quick article, it only took four, five, six minutes to read. Now I'm reading it. And if you add it all up, I probably read the same amount as if I had read those books, but I wasn't ever going to read a, a long book. Whereas the way newspapers are structured, I think it's good reading for kids. I think we need more newspapers in classrooms, and I think more kids would benefit from having the newspaper at home. And I only pay 80 bucks a year, and I get the full online digital one. So if you just want to do it online, that's always there. But I also get the actual paper twice a week, and it stays up there on the counter until we get the new one. Then the old one goes in the recycle bin, and there's always a paper laying around. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how much of it my son's read, but if you add it all up, I think, you know, just the cumulative effect of having it here is easily a plus, and I would recommend it to anybody. So, uh, again, thoughts and condolences to Martin Fennelly's family. He was a very, very just excellent columnist, and we were, we, we've been pretty good, I'd tell you. Our media market is a good one. We've had good reporters, I think. We've had good – both of our – or now only one Bucks beat writer, but you know, Rick Stroud does a phenomenal job covering the Bucks and has for many years. Greg Allman was good before that. We've had Roy Cummings, who is a friend of mine. I remember him, all these different guys. Mark Topkin is all over everything with the Rays. And we've got it pretty good. Like, we have good coverage, and our TV guys are really good as well. And, you know, as a former Tampa radio guy – you know, I think that's been cyclical a little bit, but I think we've had some pretty good moments in radio too. So, you know, don't take your sports media for granted, folks. It's it's how it's the word. What the word media is. You know, I didn't even realize it for many years, but they're called the media because it's plural for medium. That's the medium that gets the stuff that happens on the field in the locker room in front of you. Without radio, without television, without newspaper, 
They do all those things. Nobody would know about them, right? The media is what brings it to life. And it's always why I get a little bit, I don't want to say annoyed, but whenever I see coaches or players act like the media is a nuisance or like, ah, the media, whatever, I don't think they always realize they're only important because people care and people only care because of the media. Like, if you don't like the media, if you're one of these curmudgeonly coaches, ah, the media, who needs them? Well, who needs them? You're making $15 million. If you want to go coach a high school team and, and not have media attention and you just want to coach for coaching's sake, you are free to do that. But I have a feeling you like being a coach in the National Football League. I have a feeling you like making the money you make. And I have a feeling you like being at the highest level. And the reason it is the highest level is because people care about it and consume it. And the only way anybody consumes anything, unless besides going directly to the game, that's one way to consume it. Every other way you consume sports besides literally going to a game in person is media of some sort, including, even though I don't consider myself a journalist by any stretch, including this podcast right here and JoeBucksFan.com as well. Don't ever forget that. The media is not the bad guy. In fact, it's the only way anybody knows anything about anything aside from being there themselves, which most of the time, most of us can't be. So with that said, the ultimate media event is Sunday. It's the Super Bowl. And I'll just, like I said, real quick, go into not necessarily a prediction, but some of my thoughts on the game. I've gone back and forth on this game right out of the gate, right out of the gate. My thought was, hey, and it's only two points, but you're going to give me the better quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, probably the better head coach too, although that's closer, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. And you're going to give me points with the better versions of those things? No brainer, Chiefs. And I thought about it more, and I, you know, there are definitely ways I can see the Chiefs or the 49ers winning this game. I think McCaffrey is a big, big, what's the word I'm looking for, X factor, I hate that term, but I, I think he could be the key to San Francisco's success here. And I look at Kansas City, and I look at how they started the year, and their offense, you know, normally it's all about the Chiefs and Mahomes and their offense, and their offense struggled a lot this year. And their defense is what carried them through a lot of that. And then since they got together, and what was the Chiefs' biggest problem? Turnovers, dumb mistakes. I know Kadarius Toney, he's a Gator. He's, they're saying, maybe able to play. I'm not sure if it's almost better if he didn't, or at least if they only use him as a kick returner or something like that. Because the Chiefs, when they cleaned up their act, with one glaring exception, which was the goal line fumble by... Nicole Hardman against the Ravens, which they got away with, but that could have cost them a chance at a championship. But, you know, they stopped doing that stuff kind of like as of like week 14 or 15, and they haven't lost since. And if they can take care of the football, I know this is a cliche, but if they can keep their act cleaned up, they're pretty hard to beat no matter what else the other guy does. But in a way, it almost feels like San Francisco is kind of hiding in plain sight because, and I was surprised to see this, but they like broke down all the media picks and what the media, you know, or anybody picks is not what determines who wins a game, obviously. But it's like 75% of the people are, are predicting a Chiefs win. And I wonder if it's one of those things where after the game's over and San Francisco's won, we're all like, oh, yeah, I mean, they were the best team all year, right? And they won. But you know what? They've had, they are not a comeback team, and yet they have been very shaky in two playoff games and relied on comeback. They're usually the guys that are playing from ahead, and, and they get a lead, and they're hard to come back on. But, you know, we all know what happened against Detroit down 24-7. But even against Green Bay, as of only a few minutes left to go in that game, I thought Green Bay was a heavy favorite to win. And so uh, the 49ers have come back twice in these playoffs. 
And in a way, you could say uh, maybe some people think they're living on borrowed time in a way. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but here are some numbers that kind of, and there's, there's numbers for either side. Here are some numbers if you want to point to a possible Chiefs win that exists. Okay, I already told you the underdog earlier in the show, 7-4 and four straight up in the Super Bowl since 2011. So there's that. That's not against the spread. That's straight up. As an underdog in his own career, Patrick Mahomes is 9-3 and three straight up. So he's won the game outright 9 out of 12 times, 10-1-1 against the spread. This is the fourth Super Bowl that's a rematch between two head coaches, in this case Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. In the previous three rematches, the coach who won the first game was 3-0, and won again in the rematch. That was Chuck Knoll beating Tom Landry, Steelers-Cowboys, the second time. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys beat Marv Levy and the Bills back-to-back years, and Tom Coughlin and the Giants beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the Patriots in both 07 and 11. Quarterbacks with at least three more Super Bowl starts than the opposing quarterback, in which case you know Mahomes has three already, and this is Purdy's first, so he has none. The quarterback with at least three more Super Bowl starts than the opposing quarterback, seven and three in the Super Bowl. Mahomes still hasn't thrown an interception in his last six playoff games. That's an NFL record. And if you want to look the other way, what are some numbers that would favor the 49ers? None of these are situational numbers. These are things that haven't happened yet, but if they happen, they favor the 49ers. The Chiefs are 3-6 and six when allowing more than 17 points. They're 1-4 and four when allowing more than 20 points this season. So that 49er offense, obviously this is you know strength versus strength with the 49ers offense and the Chiefs defense. But that 49ers offense, if they can break through, and they don't have to exactly light it up but just get to 20 points, it's something the Chiefs defense hasn't been able to – or rather the Chiefs offense, I should say, hasn't been able to overcome much this season. As good as Patrick Mahomes is, this year the defense has really – really been a big help because the Chiefs offense has struggled, like we said, uh, a lot of the time this year. And with the turnovers and things like that, that was a big part of it. If they can keep their act cleaned up, I think I still lean Chiefs, but I do not have a strong opinion in this game. I'm not going to bet a large amount of money on this game, or at least not on the outcome of the game. I might even bet more on the coin toss because that's always a thrill, or the length of the national anthem or all the other bazillion prop bets they have that I will on who's going to win. And I don't need to. I mean, a lot of the times I bet because it makes it more entertaining, but this doesn't need any more entertainment. This is going to be a good football game. And I think, I think whatever happens, I think we will be riveted into the fourth quarter. That has been the case in 18 of the last 20 Super Bowls where we, you didn't know who was going to win at some point in the fourth quarter. And I have a feeling it'll be that way again. And we've had some good ones lately. Let's hope that trend continues. I'm not rooting for anybody. I know a lot of people I've talked to, oh, I'm tired of the Chiefs. I remember for the 49ers. What I, I don't root for teams that much if the Bucks aren't playing. I know people like to have somebody they're rooting for. I really don't care who wins. I just hope it's a good game that, is, that stays a good game all the way through the full 60 minutes. And I think there's a good chance to do that. As far as my plans for the game, I know we always do a little thing on every show every year about Super Bowl parties. And people have different things they like and don't like. I'm not a commercials guy. In fact, I kind of look sideways at people who are like, oh, the commercials, like, that you sound like a chick, okay, when, when you talk like that. Like, don't be that guy that's all oh, the commercial. Who cares? I, I barely pay attention to the commercials. It's about football, okay? So there's that. But as far as Super Bowl parties, I like get-togethers more than parties, if that makes sense. I don't need to be at a party with 20, 30 people or more. 
And it's not that I don't like those. I, I like those on non-Super Bowl situations, but I, I don't want to be in a catch-up situation, I call it, where it's somebody you only see once or twice a year, and you have to go, hey, man, what's up? How you been doing? Kids, blah, blah. And you have to do that with like five different people, six different people. Like I want to be with people I'm pretty close to that I see fairly routinely because I don't want all the small talk that comes with catch-up situations. I call them catch-up situations. Or you know, someone I know well enough that I can't ignore them, but I don't know well enough that like, hey, yeah, what's up, dude? Like, that's all we have to say. We have to say more because we have to catch up. So I, I want to keep it. And I'm not even sure. A couple of my friends have said they're doing things, but they're not close enough friends where I'm definitely going to go to their house. And I might just see what my close friends are doing. And if they come here to my house and keep it to like eight people or something like, you know, something light where we're all dialed in, where you can make all the inappropriate jokes you want. You're not in mixed company, that type of thing. We'll see. I'm not sure yet. But try to avoid the ketchup situations is what my, my main advice to you. So if it's going to be a party with a lot of people that you know just well enough that you have to talk to them, but not well enough to actually have anything to say, the Super Bowl isn't the time for that, okay? You can do that at whatever other scenario where you might see them. And if the only time you ever see them is a Super Bowl party, there's your answer right there. So with that said, enjoy it. I always say before my shows, and hey, use it as an excuse to get together and, and invite people over and have fun when I'm talking about watching Bucks games. You don't need that for the Super Bowl. That excuse already exists. In this case, you may need an excuse not to do that, but that's up to you. Either way, enjoy it. Be safe. Have fun. Enjoy the final football game that counts for, well, a little over six months. Tough. I know. I, like I said, as fun as it is. I always start thinking about it like, oh, this is, there's no more football after this for a while. But it's going to be a hell of a game, I think, and I think we'll all be glad for it after the fact on Sunday night. Thanks to our good friends at Bill Curry Ford, sponsors of the Free Stretch, home of the Nationwide Unlimited Lifetime Warranty, and, of course, the Joes at JoeBucksFan.com, the single place, best place for Bucks coverage anywhere, TV, Internet, radio. And we're going year-round. This is only the beginning, so we got you covered all through the draft season and everything else. Thanks to the Joes for putting me on, and, of course, thanks to you, for listening to the show. Have a great Super Bowl weekend. Have fun. Be safe. We'll be back next week. Don't worry. And in the meantime, wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good night, and go Bucks.